it was regarded as a workers' revolution in the consciousness of the whole of the Chilean masses. So you can see in fracturing within the capitalist class and their, their representatives. But then obviously you can see the debates that are then taking place within the working class and the left. And you can see at each stage they try to conciliate with the capitalist class. They don't want to go too far, but the pressure of events clearly is, it was forcing them. Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Our podcast aims to understand, explain and prepare us all for the fight for socialism. It's produced by members and party activists. Don't miss an episode. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome uh, to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Uh, my name's Lenny Shell. Uh, this episode is going to be looking at the events of Chile from 1970 to 1973, which gave a small glimpse of how socialism could be possible, but also that heroism uh, isn't enough. Today we're going to ask what, what was needed back then. Uh, we're speaking on the 11th of September, 50 years to the day after the, te- the events of a coup that took place uh, in Chile. I'm going to be speaking to Tony Sornwa, who is the Secretary of the Committee for Workers International, the worldwide socialist organisation to which the Socialist Party uh, is affiliated. Uh, Tony spent time working in Chile in the 1980s, building our sister organisation there, and is producing a new book on the revolutionary history of Chile. So thanks, uh, Tony, for joining us. I mean, just to kick us, to get started, um, as I said before, 50 years ago today, on the streets of Santiago, uh, the army came in, uh, led by General Pinochet, uh, to the presidential palace to well, to lead and start a coup that would, that would be followed by a terrible sequence of events uh, for the, both the, the, the socialist government that had been elected in Chile, uh, but also for the Chilean working class. Can you just give us an idea of what actually happened on the 11th of September? Well, hi Lenny. Well, I mean, on the 11th of September, 1970, Three, we saw an incredible event, one that was not unexpected as the militant, our forerunner here in uh, Britain, anticipated. We warned in August that a coup was impending and was going to come unless the IND government took decisive measures. And unfortunately, that uh, anticipated uh, coup did take place on the 11th of September. It involved the army, the navy, and the Air Force, they bombed the presidential palace using uh, Hawker Hunter jets from uh, Britain, which they purchased uh, from Britain. The army was mobilized, was brought in, and they attacked the palace and ultimately ended up uh, killing the then president, the socialist president, Salvador Allende, who now has gone down because he sacrificed his life in opposing the coup, has gone down as a hero. They formed a military junta which ruled then for the following 17 years. It opened up a dark, long dark night for the Chilean masses of brutal repression, of torture, of thousands being driven into uh, uh, the exile. And then a little bit later, President, uh, President Pinochet declared himself president in December 1974 and really, like a military Bonaparte, assumed all power concentrated into his hand. He became like a latter-day uh, Bonaparte himself, who declared himself emperor, Napoleon, uh, that is, declared himself emperor in the 19th, uh, 19th century. Well, Pinochet did it again and referred to himself as the emperor of Chile uh, following 1974. 
And that was really the hallmark in the beginning of 17 years of brutal, uh, bloody repression in which thousands of uh, Chilean workers and youth uh, were killed or were executed, uh, tortured, and as I say, driven into exile. I know growing up in, I grew up in Coventry, Tony, and um, there were many Chilean uh, families who were, were both friends of mine whose parents and grandparents were exiles in Chile. I remember when Pinochet uh, came over to Britain to get health treatment, because uh, he was friends with Thatcher, of course. And um, we were told these people, that, there was, there was uh, a couple of our teachers uh, in my school who were from Chile, and you could, they had scars on their faces. And we were told, well, actually, that's because they were they were tortured by Pinochet. They were in the in the chambers of the Santiago National Stadium and been tortured in the that brutal aftermath. It was very quick, wasn't it? Just after the the coup, they, they uh, rounded up workers, began to torture them, executed uh, thousands. Um, so we'll go come back to obviously the events of the coup. But how did it? How did it, how did this come about? Uh, I think you said the. Um, Allende had been elected in 1970, but what was the sort of social political background that led to this sequence of events that brought a sort of communist socialist coalition government to power in Chile? Well, that's a critical question, Lenny, because it goes right to the heart of the process. Because Allende was elected in 1970 as president, uh, it was a coalition overwhelmingly dominated by the Socialist Party and the Communist Party, and uh, made up of a series of other left wing groups. Uh, and it came about on a very radical program. We have the so-called left today in the social democracy, which in a mealy-mouthed manner talk about possibly taking back into public ownership uh, some of the essential services such as post or, uh, or, or, or water. Well, the IND government came to power promising the wholesale nationalisation of whole sectors of the economy. Uh, they came to power following a whole wave of radicalization, which has swept Chile and has swept the world in the 1960s. It was Chile, in that sense, was part of a global process of radicalization which had uh, taken place. The election victory in 1970 shocked everybody, uh, but it also had a dramatic effect in Chile, but not just in Chile, indeed internationally. Here we had a self-proclaimed Marxist elected president. It had a phenomenal impact internationally. I was a young delegate at the Labour Party conference following the coup which took place in uh, 1973. And I remember very clearly Jack Jones, then the General Secretary of the largest trade union in Britain, the Transport and General Workers Union, coming to the rostrum and pointing at the left figure, Tony Bennett at the time, and made the point, if we ever have a Labour government in this country headed by somebody like Tony Benn, we will face a similar situation as why Allende faced in 1973. But you had this massive radicalisation. Allende came to power. He was frustrated uh, by the ruling class, uh, by US imperialism from the very beginning. In fact, US imperialism even tried to encourage a coup in 1970 to prevent him being sworn in as president. Uh, but nevertheless, those obstacles were overcome. Unfortunately, Allende tried to seek an agreement with the capitalist Christian Democrats, and he made a fatal mistake in 1970, right at the very beginning. He signed a constitutional pact whereby he agree agreed that the government would not touch the armed forces, the heads of the armed forces. But nevertheless, he came into power and he opened up a massive period of radicalisation. Uh, uh, wages were increased, pensions were increased, 
free school milk was uh, distributed, by the way, which, of course, then at the same time, Margaret Thatcher, when she was in, uh, in the government here, removed free school milk. They embarked on a programme of radical nationalisation, taking over the copper industry, which was absolutely decisive, and swathes of the economy were, were uh, nationalised. And the ruling class were terrified of this, uh, of this particular uh, uh, pro process. And they attempted to remove the IND government. And yet every attempt they made to frustrate the government through constitutional manoeuvres on the one side, mass mobilisations of the right-wing supporters they had on the other, it provoked a massive backlash by the working class and by the Chilean masses. And although the process began as a reform process, the movement itself and below went in a much more revolutionary uh, uh, direction and went much further than what the leaders wanted and they tried to uh, hold it back. But it was a massive radicalisation, which really meant the Chilean ruling class was facing an existential crisis, and that's what triggered them and forced them to uh, carry through the military coup in September 73. That's really interesting. I mean, you, obviously it's called the popular, popular government. What was the sort of formation of, of the UP and the various sort of wings to it and the character of that? Well, that's a, a critical point, Lenny, because this government was a, co it was a coalition government headed by the Socialist Party, the Communist Party. They mistakenly took in what they said was a middle-class party called the Radicals, which was very small, and it was in a death agony, uh, the party uh, itself, but it agreed to join the coalition government and lasted for a period of time in it and left uh, later. But they used that as a mechanism to try and slow down the process, which they failed to do. But then also in the coalition, and this was a critical factor, reflecting what happened in the 1960s, the, the Catalysts had two parties in Chile at that time. The National Party, which was a far-right uh, organisation based on the agricultural sectors, and then the Christian Democrats, which were very populist, had a capitalist base, but a big base amongst some sections of workers, the urban poor, and the peasants. And during the late 1960s, by 69, you had a Christian democratic government. It came in on a radical-ish programme called Revolution and Liberty, uh, was the slogan that uh, they used. But by the end of that government, end, end of that uh, period of time in government, they were in economic crisis and carried out brutal repression against the working class. And that provoked a massive rupture within the Christian Democrats. You saw a split taking place in 1969 and the formation of an organisation called MAPU, which went straight from this capitalist party. It was based amongst a, a layer of uh, the urban middle class and the peasantry. It went straight from this capitalist party over to the popular unity and ended up on the left wing of the popular unity. And MAPU itself later was to split with an even more left uh, uh, grouping emerging uh, from it. In 1971, you saw another split from the Christian democracy, the Christian left, which had the same trajectory and ended up joining the popular unity and going over uh, to end up on the left wing of the popular unity. So you had this coalition, but it was overwhelmingly based amongst the, uh, the working class, the middle class and big sections of the peasantry uh, as well. But within it, there was a constant struggle because the Communist Party, they had a policy of the stages theory. Uh, which has been defended by the Communist parties uh, throughout history. First, we have to have a process of capitalist democracy, progressive reforms, consolidate those reforms, and then at some point in the distant future, we move on towards socialism.
the left, which controlled the Socialist Party, the left wing of the Socialist Party, together with MAPU and the Christian left, they were demanding the movement go further. And it was a massive clash politically took place within the, within the popular unity. Do they consolidate the reform programme or do you go further to complete uh, the programme and really pose the issue of the, of the Socialist Revolution? And by the way, in distinction to the Socialist Parties you have today in Europe, like the French Socialist Party or the Spanish uh, Socialist Party, the Labour Party here, the history of the Chilean Socialist Party was entirely different. It declared itself Marxist. It declared itself in favour of destroying the bourgeois capitalist state. It supported the concept of the idea of the formation of a, a socialist federation throughout Latin America. And it was dominated by that left wing. It was a right wing uh, uh, sort yeah. of wing to it as well. But the left dominated. So within the coalition, you had this furious battle. Outside the coalition, you had other left forces. The uh, revolutionary left movement, the MIR, split. Uh, from a group of students from the socialists to go in even more di left direction. But in this period, these parties, including the MIR, they had membership of thousands, tens of thousands. And by the way, at that time, you're only talking of an electorate of about five or six million, uh, put it in the context of the population. Tens of thousands organised in these uh, mass parties and semi-mass parties of the working class and youth engaged in a whole process of ferocious debate about the programme, about how to advance uh, the revolution. It was regarded as a workers' revolution in the consciousness of the whole of the Chilean masses. It's an interesting point you touched on at the start. So you can see in fracturing within the capitalist class and their, their representatives. But then obviously you can see the debates that are then taking place within the working class in the left. And like you say, the stages theory that was... Really, it's a replication of Stalin's stages theory that he, he argued with Trotsky originally in the 1920s. And you can see at each stage they try to conciliate with the capitalist class. They don't want to go too far, but the pressure of events clearly is, it was forcing them. And the, obviously the, the role of the socialist uh, uh, party um, within that. Um, as you talked about there, about in contrast to say some of the so-called socialist organisations or left-wing organisations uh, here today, I'll go back to, I'll touch on a second, the role of the working class within this and the organisations that sprang up. But you, you touched on earlier about some of the steps that the popular government made, the reforms and so on. But elements of their programme, they weren't fully able to put into power, but they still maybe, I think on their, um, originally they stood for, say, like a popular assembly. You touched on that, why that was a factor as well. Yeah, well, that, that, those are important points, Lenny, because the Communist Party was constantly urging for this... Uh, uh, conciliation with a, what they regarded falsely as a so-called progressive wing of the capitalist class, particularly grouped around what was left of the Christian democracy. And with the left splits from the Christian democracy, it meant the leadership of the Christian democracy was entirely dominated by an entirely capitalist right-wing wing of it. So, I mean, that's what they were negotiating with. Now, unfortunately, that same position was defended by Andy. And he spent most of his time um, in a process trying to negotiate and get the concessions and win the support of uh, the Christian Democrats. And he made a series of uh, uh, proposals to try and uh, uh, gain their support and their, uh, their, 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 their acceptance. And by the way, to see how it went, there was a proposal at one stage, this was in 1972, I think it was, uh, when they're involved in a ferocious struggle. I only put forward a compromise. Uh, to the Christian Democrats, uh, and to give an indication of how far it had gone, the compromise 
proposed the nationalization of 90 companies as opposed to 200. <laughs> now put that in the context of the completely pathetic program which is coming out of the official left uh, globally uh, uh, today. That was the compromise proposal which of course the Christian Democrats uh, rejected. Now what they were proposing constitutionally was also important because in Chile had a very undemocratic position. I ended won the presidency but he never had a majority in the Congress. They never had a majority in the Senate. The proposal of popular unity, and it was there as a draft amendment to the Constitution, which they never ended up putting forward, was to abolish the Senate, abolish the Congress as it had, and establish a popular assembly, which would be made up of elected representatives from the districts, from the neighbourhoods, from uh, the different professions, and from the, um, and from the trade unions. And it was, uh, that was the proposal originally from the popular unity. And that became a crucial question, because as the movement developed, the absence of the left having a majority in the Congress, the Congress was seen as a major obstacle. And the mass movement at a certain stage came forward with a demand, close and close down the bourgeois parliament. This is not a representative body, uh, and its only role is to hold back and uh, prevent the revolutionary process. Now, as I mentioned before, what had happened in the, in the revolutionary process, every attempt by the right, to bring down the government and sabotage the opposition provoked a massive radicalisation. And in, in 1972, a critical development had taken place. They hadn't broken with capitalism. Economic crisis uh, was there. You had a complete programme uh, introduced from the US imperialism. Their position, Nixon's position as the US president, from the very beginning was we're going to make the Chilean economy scream through sabotage, through boycott, through uh, a whole series of other uh, actions which they took and combined with the domestic sabotage of the Chilean ruling class, you had an economic crisis. And they then, the US and the CIA, financed the truck owners' uh, strike in 1972 to try this and... This is a strike by business owners. Uh, in, fundamentally, small business owners, yeah. some business owners. And they did it with a clear objective, overthrow and bring down the uh, Pinochet government. And it produced a massive reaction. And two crucial processes uh, took place. One was the formation of new bodies. Thousands of workers occupied the factories. Peasants took over the land in defence of the government, but they formed in the factories what they called cordones industriales, and that means uh, industrial belts in the uh, English translation. And they were elected committees in the factories, but not just in the factories, they linked up factory by factory in the key uh, neighbourhoods. The delegates were elected and subject to recall. They were checked by mass meetings of what they did in all of the factories uh, which were organ organised and took place. They organised production and instituted, in effect, a system of workers' uh, of work control. A similar process took place on the land, but then also what we'd seen, the government had set up what they call people's supply committees, the HAPs, in the poblaciones and the neighbourhoods. And they were used to implement the other aspect of the Chilean government's policy, the Institute of Policy of Price Controls to try and deal with inflation. And these bodies exploded uh, in terms of thousands participating uh, in them. They tried to enforce price controls and the distribution of goods and services uh, to prevent uh, 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 the black market uh, getting a dominant position. Uh, to prevent hoarding and to provide ensure that everybody, uh, the most poorest, had the basic necessities of food, etc. that they uh, had. Now that, in reality, 
meant that at that particular period, a, a, a situation exists, as has arisen in all revolutions, of dual power, where the capitalist state has not been fully overthrown. On the other side, the working class has built its own organisations and is challenging the rule of the capitalist class and its state machine, but has not yet consolidated power into its own hands and taken that power. And it was a dual power situation. And as within dual power, all dual power situations, it can last for a period, but it can't go on indefinitely. One class or other has to get the upper hand and take over the running of, of society. So that was what was happening. And it was furious debates and political discussions taking place in that period. And we should also add the inventiveness that took place uh, during that, to give a flavour of the revolution. The government had set up uh, a publishing house. That publishing house was pu uh, producing little uh, miniature books uh, by um, uh, writers from, from Chile, writers from Latin America, George Orwell's uh, works, uh, Oscar Wilde's works, uh, a whole series of writers. They were just in mini form, so workers could read them on the bus. They produced over half a million uh, different publications during the, uh, the period. They were distributed at a very low cost. There was a whole rising of the cultural level of Chilean society was taking place during the revolutionary process. The Santiago Symphony Orchestra would go into the shanty towns giving free, uh, free concerts. There was an explosion of music. Uh, with the incorporation of famous groups that of uh, Kila Payun, the Apple, who incorporated indigenous music with the modern rock music of the time, and it was used as a marching songs or all of the other demonstrations. But the inventiveness they used, and it's probably a little known fact, which the CWI has commented on many times, but you saw in the course of this the first application of the modern uh, internet and web. Uh, web websites were, were, were attempted through the introduction of a system of CyberSign when they tried to uh, use the primitive computers uh, and telex machines which existed to coordinate the production between different factories nationally. They were, it was actually instigated a, a, a British guy by the name of uh, Steers or Bernard Steers went over there to try and uh, set it up. It was set up and began to function and assisted with the breaking of the uh, of the truck drivers at strike by uh, coordinating the production between uh, different factions. So a whole revolutionary process was underway by seventy by seventy two. The ruling class and imperialism were absolutely terrified. They were on the brink of facing, well, they did face an existential crisis uh, that, that, that uh, was there. But the key question was that was posed during this: How is the movement to go forward? and to actually defeat reaction, to defeat the capitalist class, and how was the Chilean working class to take power into its own hands? And that was the central element of the debate. And unfortunately, that was never resolved uh, with the necessary uh, programme uh, and actions which were needed to ensure the revolution was carried through to a successful conclusion. It's really interesting. Obviously, Tony, you touched upon a lot of stuff we often raise, that socialism isn't just... Oh, you had a few handouts or a few nice things. It's completely reorganizing society, the things that you talked about, how utilizing technology for planning, but also the, 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 the freeing up of science, the arts for the masses to explore, develop themselves. You see a whole explosion of that. And really, she just gives almost a tiny glimpse of, the, of that, what, what is possible. 
Me is where we, the Los Cordones, uh, however, <laughs> I don't know if you pronounce it, but those workers' councils that began, uh, that were set up and began to, um, I mean, they occupied factories, they were well, during the, the, the business strikes, they they kept the factories going. You would think that the, the popular government would see this growing um, excitement, support for it, 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 how far it was going. I think each step clearly radicalised the masses even further. You would think that would be what they would then lean on and go to, say, when they had the problems in the Senate. You, like you say, couldn't they have gone use a mandate to the working class, um, uh, the, the support they had um, to take on the, the, the attacks from the, the, working, the ruling class? But I think, I've read some of your, your writings before, unfortunately they didn't do that. So what did they do? Well, that's the key question, Lenny. What did they do? You see, for the Communist Party and for Allende, the creation of the Cordones and that, that movement around the Cordones and the, the committees in the, uh, the Poblaciones in the, in the shanty towns uh, became known as Poder Popular, uh, People's Power. And there was a mass movement and they marched, demanding create People's Power. Uh, and that. But for Allende, it was an embarrassment. For the Communist Party, they didn't want it because they saw the Cordones as a rival to the official trade union structures. And in part, it was because it was a way of circumventing by sections of the working class, the, the trade union bureaucracy, which were trying in general to hold back uh, uh, the movement uh, itself. And it was an embarrassment. How could the Christian Democrats go along with this? Nyendi's policy was to negotiate with the Christian Democrats. So Allende was in a position almost of repudiating uh, the, the popular power, Poder Popular, and the, the, these movements that were taking place uh, uh, from uh, below in order to try and placate the Christian Democrats, a policy which he continued right up until the very end of the, of the coup itself in September 1973. Now, the reaction of the Socialist Party was not that. The MIR was not that. They participated in these bullies. But you see a critical mistake then that was uh, being made. The Socialist Party was coming out with very rev revolutionary rhetoric and very revolutionary-sounding phrases supporting the Social Revolution. Concrete proposals as to what should be done were absent by the, uh, by the leaders of the left of the Socialist Party. The MIR had some very heroic uh, young workers and young students in it. Their position, they participated in the Cordones, but they were a bit sceptical towards it because they had a position influenced by the Cuban Revolution that they wanted to go for a urban guerrilla struggle. And therefore, they were looking more towards the, um, towards the urban poor, sections of the peasantry to base uh, that on rather than, than the, uh, the, the factories uh, uh, themselves. And they had, a, therefore, a mistaken uh, a policy and an absence of, uh, 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 of a clarity in terms of a programme of what should be done to strengthen the, uh, the committees, bringing together them not just on a neighbourhood or district basis, but on a citywide basis for a national congress of all of these uh, convened, these movements to be convened together with elected delegates that would then be able to act as an alternative power base to the bourgeois uh, uh, congress, which was being used to try and, and sabotage the movement. And to deal with that, a programme of that, unfortunately, was lacking. Cop combined with the absence of serious measures 
to try and prepare to win over the rank and file of the Army, Navy and Air Force, who were the sons and daughters, of course, of the working class, uh, many of whom were open towards uh, the support for popular unity, as later events were uh, to show. I think, um, like you say there, you began to see the the different sort of wings within uh, the the UP. Um, And like you say, there was perfect opportunity there to go toward the the Cadones and reach out to use that as a a support to take on sections of the ruling class. I mean, is is there even stories where uh, one of the uh, uh, ministers of the economy, Orlando Millers, and Minister Interior General Pratt's, they actually ordered some of those factory workers. They had to go back um, uh, um, into work under the rule of of the, of the bosses that were being, in effect, trying to sabotage uh, the government. And also, again, at each stage, I think probably most probably from the Communist Party, even in the army, they helped support the rooting out of supporters of its own uh, of their own popular government. It was uh, a, a, you know a policy of conciliation, which in reality was a treacherous policy which uh, derailed the whole revolutionary process. The Miller's plan, as you said, it was, uh, it was uh, the Communist Party uh, were nominated. The original uh, Minister of the Economy was on the left, and he had a proposal for nationalisation of 200 companies. He was removed at a certain stage and replaced by a Communist Party uh, uh, minister who, in the, in, in the aftermath of the 72 mass movement, introduced a policy whereby the occupied factories that were not nationalised would be given back to the owners. I mean, that, that was the official government policy that they were uh, that they were pursuing. Now, so that was their position of, of compromise, and it was a, a, a treacherous uh, policy. But then they were absolutely convinced, <coughs> and they based themselves on what they dubbed the constitutional loyalty of the, uh, of the armed forces. Chile, uh, from the 1930s, had a relatively uh, stable position of capitalist democracy without military intervention. And they assumed that would, all, that would remain to be the case. They signed the Constitutional Pact in 1970, I had, that they wouldn't touch the, the tops of the army. In order to try and placate the Christian democracy, they brought the army into the, into the government. Three generals were, were brought in. Uh, including Pratt's, General Pratt, uh, who, who was uh, uh, one of them. And this was the policy they pursued. And they, they, they were uh, adamant that they, that they would trust and put the confidence in the constitutional loyalty of, uh, of the government, which was a fatal policy. Now, below, there were sections of the armed forces that were against what was going on. By the time we get to 1973 in the year, it was open talk. Allende himself said that the, the nation faces its biggest crisis since the Chilean Civil War in the 1870s. So it came out of nowhere? No, no, no it didn't come out of nowhere. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Everybody was knew it. It was uh, open discussions. The army tops were quite openly discussing. The officer corps were quite openly discussing about the question of a coup. There's a need for the military to step in. It was in the press. You know, the screams for the, the spoiled... Uh, 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 layers of the of the upper the, the upper middle class of Chile was were demanding that the army step in to save the nation from the Marxist dictatorship with all of the uh, uh, propaganda and yet they still even up to August the uh, general Corvalan the general secretary of the uh, the Communist Party 
was uh, uh, basing himself and saying that we, we respect the professional institution of the armed forces and there'll be nothing established, i.e. A, mil- a militia, that would challenge the professional institutions of, uh, of the state, as he, uh, as he puts it. And by the way, to show how, as, as, you, as you said, Lenny, it was open uh, talk about the issue, Allende had raised the issue of civil war. The Communist Party's response was to organise a national petition, no to civil war. <laughs> well, the right wing preparing for a coup uh, and for a civil war, because it was a civil war that was, uh, in essence, taking place. Uh, the left were just pleading, uh, the leaders of the official left were just pleading no uh, civil war. But some of the ranks of the army did move. In Valparaiso and Concepcion, the ports, naval ratings, uh, it protested about the officers discussing uh, the issue of the coup. And, uh, and they were arrested uh, by the Navy. Uh, they ended up being tortured. They were tortured to try and seek a confession, uh, alleging that uh, Altamirano, the general secretary of the, of the Socialist Party, and the leaders of the MIR were involved in preparing a national insurrection with arms from Chile. That was what they were trying to get them to confess to, these uh, naval ratings. They weren't. Allende repudiated them and defended the uh, the officers who had arrested them and what had, uh, what had done. When it became clear that that was not the case of what they'd been involved in, they simply come out in opposition to the coup. Allende remained silent, didn't even uh, correct his uh, previous position. It was known at the time as Allende's darkest hour. It was treachery in terms of it, what it he... It wasn't even Pinochet brought into the cabinet. Then uh, they, they took... Pratt's, you see, within the army, there was a bit of a split because... In the end, those who opposed the coup of the, of the, of the, of the high command, there was four generals who opposed the coup. Twenty probably uh, uh, supported it, um, um, including Pratt, who was in the government originally, but he opposed the coup and was against it. I'll come on to that point uh, in a moment. But then they brought Pinochet into the government at, uh, into 73, uh, once again, for the second time. Uh, again, and um, you know, because they had this faith that this would appease the bourgeois by bringing them in. In other words, you you had the uh, the Trojan horse was uh, brought in, in reality, uh, into the into the government itself in order to uh, be allowed to conduct the the, the coup preparations, and then they um, you know are taking those actions to hunt out from the, uh, the the armed services those who were sympathetic in nineteen seventy two. They also introduced a new law against uh, the uh, the issue of arms being held and restricting arms uh, control. And by the way, that, that some workers were accumulating arms correctly in terms of uh, you know in in terms of that position. That was then used by 1973, end of 72. The army was conducting raids on people's houses, in the factories, allegedly looking for arms. Now, one of the there had two objectives in those raids. One, terrorise the population before the coup. Two, they were testing out their own rank and file, identifying those who would be more sympathetic to the popular unity and then uh, uh, imprison them or keep them out of the way, uh, etc. And by the way, after the coup, on the day of the coup itself or a few days afterwards, in Concepcion, they, they massacred an entire uh, school of non-commissioned officers who they thought were sympathetic to the mere. So, I mean, it was possible with a correct strategy to break the army in, into two uh, component parts. Pratt, who opposed the coup, 
and you can see the vindictiveness of, uh, of Pinochet and his, his gang. It wasn't, Pratt's wasn't the only one. After the coup had taken place, uh, Pratt's uh, took voluntary exile in Argentina. 12 months later, he was blown up with his wife in a car bomb by the, the Chilean secret services. <laughs> they, they, they just came revenge <laughs> yeah. simply because he, he was not he was not even prepared. Pratt's position was, I'm opposed to the coup, but I will do nothing to split the army. So he wasn't prepared yeah. to lead a record. Yeah. Just because he opposed the coup, that was enough to be blown up. <laughs> so you know you say, this, this didn't come out of thin air. Everyone knew it was going to take place. So, so, so w- w- was it possible to have stopped it? Was there a reaction by the working class against what they saw was a rise and against their government, even though they could see the mistakes that were being made? There were. I mean, the possibility was there, frankly, right up to the last uh, minute, the possibility to stop it. But you needed a correct strategy. Workers were becoming tired. You'd had in um, in June an attempted coup, but it was a premature leap by the tanker regiment. There was only about 150 involved in it. They put down that coup uh, within a couple of hours. That has still triggered a further wave of factory uh, occupations at that stage. A week before the coup, there was mass demonstrations in front of the uh, in front of the presidential palace, La Moneda, of workers uh, chanting, "I end it, end it! The people will defend you." They demanded the closure of the bourgeois congress. These were the slogans that had been chanted by tens of thousands of workers. They were demanding arms to defend, uh, uh, you know, to defend uh, the government and to oppose oppose the coup. But they bided their time, and then they struck on uh, September the 11th. Now, even then, it would have been possible to head off uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, this, this assault, but it required bold action. The biggest mistake they made, and this includes the left, was they took in uh, and distorted Lenin's formulation of the factories being the fortress of the revolution, by which he meant the main base of the revolution. They took that to its literal extent. They urged workers to go and occupy the factories. Now, that means the workers were isolated in the factories and some had guns and they tried to shoot it out, but they were just isolated in the factories and could therefore just be surrounded and picked off. What they should have done is called a mass demonstration in Santiago. They should have done what the Barcelona workers did in 1936 when they stormed the barracks and marched on the barracks. Uh, with chair legs to get guns and they defeated the fascist revolt in Spain at that particular uh, time. Similar actions should have been taken uh, in Chile and it would have forced a split within uh, the armed forces. But that required preparation and organisation. They did very naive things. I mean, all of the parties had their own their broadcasting system. There was a breakup on the day of the coup. There was no communication because what they'd done is they left all of the radios uh, broadcasting uh, equipment was in official government uh, ministries and it was just easy to pick off rather than locate them yeah. in their own strongholds uh, so they could keep broadcasting an appeal and you know that was uh, that was was not done and on the ninth on the 11th at nine o'clock in the morning I uh made his final speech uh, you know where he said he was giving up his life um, because he knew death would have waited him, uh, which is an heroic gesture, but he was prepared to do that rather than take on his shoulders the responsibility of completing the revolution and uh, and overthrowing, um, you know, the, the, the bourgeois state itself. Now, that was resulted in that tragic defeat. And as you said earlier, they, they were rounded up, taken to the national stadium, 17 years of brutal repression, and it was brutal. I mean, when I was there on one occasion... 
there was a there was a young couple from America actually that were Chilean who had gone over in exile. They came back and got caught up in a protest. They were nineteen. Uh, they got caught up in a protest in one of the working class uh, districts. Uh, the army, the, the soldiers got them uh, and they doused them in petrol and set them alive. I mean, th that's that's what you were dealing with in terms of the character of the regime itself and its brutality. But that was only one side of it. The brutality was then what they also did economically. Here was the opportunity, which was to have worldwide repercussions. They uh, they then used this model, this military dictatorship, for the experiment of neoliberalism. The Chicago boys arrived, the school of, uh, of neoliberalism, who prepared the ground, by the way, prior to this, the University Catholica in, in Santiago was turned into a base prior to the coup uh, for neoliberalism, and they infiltrated it and had the whole plan. And this was used as the, the laboratory experiment on the Chilean working class for what then, in subsequent decades, was to become the global policy of, of, of uh, capitalism, of the application of neoliberal policies. But they wanted to try it out, and they tried it out in a brutal manner, which had horrific consequences, not just with repression, but the economic situation in the 1980s, when, when I was there. I mean, to give a, a, an example, um, <coughs> Uh, in, in the in the working class districts, in the in the shops, uh, you didn't buy a box of tea bags. You bought tea bags individually. Cigarettes were sold individually. People had no money uh, for anything. It was horrific poverty. Uh, uh, con was a consequence of it, uh, etc. So that was what they needed. A regime like that, as a, to provide a laboratory for neoliberalism, which then they modified a bit and applied it globally. Uh, in the 1980s and 1990s. So, um, yeah, well, it's hard to take in when you, when you listen to it uh, all and, and think about it, both in terms of the, the brutal effects of on the Chilean working class, but like you say, then the international ramifications and what took place uh, after. I mean, throughout the discussion tone, you've emphasised, like, the, the possibilities, the... Um, the support the UP had, but the 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 the, the momentum that was built up by the by the by the working class, and clearly, what was missing was an organisation that was able to understand the key role of the working class, and there were obviously various organisations. Um, what 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 do you think was are the key main lessons um from the whole the, the whole series of events, the coup itself. Um, for us today, what we need to think about in terms of learning the lessons, but how we can apply uh, those in today's struggles. The key lesson is, well, there's two key lessons really. One is, you know, uh, you, it's the programme. And that is the programme to how you overthrow capitalism. The second lesson is the need for a revolutionary party as an instrument to allow that to happen. The working class of Chile showed how far it could go. By the way, in the Cordones, I mean, they were carrying resolutions in the main uh, uh, Cordon, in Cerrillos Maipú, which was the first one, it was a major industrial area, Santiago at the time. They carried a resolution. The opening statement said, we support Allende insofar as he defends the struggles of the working class. Insofar. There was a question mark <laughs> uh, there. They, they called for the closure of the bourgeois parliament. They called for the uh, popular power. All of the sentiment was there for it, but there was no instrument to carry it through to a conclusion. And a party was necessary. And the tragedy is, 
you had very committed revolutionaries in the MIR, very committed revolutionaries on the left of the Socialist Party in Mapu, but they hadn't, they weren't prepared to take the necessary steps. Frankly, the left of the Socialist Party had become, they, they were imprisoned, they were putting forward a, a, a revolutionary rhetoric, but then they were imprisoned within Allende's party and within his government, who was trying to hold back the position. Really, what should have happened, ideally, was a clarification on the programme with the MIR, with the left of the Socialist Party and MAPU, and those forces should have come together to, for, to split from the Socialist Party and form a new revolutionary party. But the key for that was a programme and an understanding of the role of the working class, which the MIR had not clearly got. The Socialist Party left did have that understanding of the working class, but lacked a concrete programme of how to uh, enact it. And the opportunity was squandered and, uh, and lost at that time. But uh, it's the key point of the lessons in terms of what is posed. And you can have the struggle and the struggle and capacity of the working class to struggle and to change society was demonstrated time and again in these uh, years of 70 to 73 in Chile. But what is highlighted is that heroism, that determination to struggle, why it's a critical ingredient is not enough. You've got to have a programme and an instrument to implement that programme in the form of a revolutionary party, which is uh, was crucial. I'll just add, you know, uh, as well, the impact that it had internationally. Because of the consciousness of the masses was this, the workers are leading this process. This is a workers' revolution. And that was inscribed in the consciousness of the masses. For that reason, it had a massive uh, international impact, not just in Britain, but indeed uh, elsewhere. And uh, you could say when the coup struck, the whole experience of 70 to 73 up to the coup, on the generation that lived through that internationally, was as significant, as important as the Spanish Civil War had been in the 1930s for that uh, generation. It had, a, it had a crucial impact, or it's the nearest thing to uh, the type of Spanish Civil War that we'd seen in the 1930s. And for that reason, we have to draw all the lessons, as we do from the Spanish Civil War and elsewhere, uh, to avoid such tragedies being repeated in the future. Brilliant. I think that's about it, Tony, unless you've got any other comments. <laughs> no, nothing else. No, that, that, was, that was fantastic. And um, first of all, thanks, Tony, for, for joining us today. And hopefully we've fueled your interest in the events of Chile uh, of 1970 to 1973. And obviously, as Tony's touched upon, the, the, effect, the, the history before that and, and, and after and the ratifications today, the legacy. Um, and hopefully fuel more interest in the history of the working class and socialism. Um, and Marxism and if you're excited by by this uh, uh, podcast today you should get yourself down to Socialism 2023 which is taking place in, in London organised by the Socialist Party a whole weekend of discussion debate to debate the ideas of how we can fight for every game possible for the working class but also to change uh, the world Tony will be one of the, one of men, many speakers introducing a number of workshops throughout the weekend uh, where you have a chance to ask questions, raise your own point, to be a, among hundreds of socialist fighters uh, in London that weekend on the 25th and 26th of November. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Uh, you'll also get a chance to get your hand on one of Tony's new book on, on Chile, as I mentioned uh, earlier. And you can get your tickets at www.socialism.org.uk. Uh, there's various different tickets where you can offers with the hostel accommodation. There's also a free crash throughout uh, so as I said before, don't miss it uh, and be there.
that's it. I think we'll see how it goes. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England Wales section of the Committee for a Workers International. If you would like to get in touch about anything discussed here or to join the Socialist Party, please email info at socialistparty.org.uk. You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app and on our websites. For the Socialist Party, that's www.socialistparty.org.uk. For those listening in other parts of the world especially, we recommend checking out the CWI with analysis of world events to join the fight for socialism in your country that's www.socialistworld.net. Editing is done by a team of member volunteers, including producer Chris Cook, without whom this podcast is not possible. Get in touch if you have skills you would like to contribute. If you want to get in touch, email info at socialistparty.org.uk. The Socialist Party relies on funding from our members and supporters. We have no big business backers or adverts, which allows us to maintain our political independence. Can you help fund this podcast? You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Even more importantly, do you agree with the ideas of the Socialist Party as we have raised here? We want you to become a member and join the fight for a socialist world. Get in touch today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so we can see you next time.